0: Alright, thank you. 2 Kings chapter 5 today. Welcome to another installment of Family Bible Time. Kind of off the schedule, but uh, nonetheless, we are going to study the Word of God today. There is a lesson in leprosy today, as I have called it. We are looking at the lives of the prophets. Lives. That's not proper grammar, but uh, go with it for now. Elisha is uh, having a ministry towards various kings and people, and in this case, it is... uh, Uh, Assyrian, the captain of the host of the king of Syria, we read in 2nd Kings chapter 5. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. Lord, I pray that you'll bless our time in your word today and help me to expound upon the things that you've put in my brain And help them to be useful, Lord. And as your word is spoken, may your Holy Spirit have something to work with that will be good seed that will land in the hearts of your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in looking through chapter 5 here, I just wanted to look at some contrasting character traits as we go through this. First of all, looking at trust versus worry. First of all, as we just read there in verse number 1, we see a man, courageous and leprous, it is interesting as we look at uh, Syria here, and they have some conflicts uh, over the course of time with the Syrians. It's interesting that there is a a good context in which this man is spoken of here. As you see there in the middle of the verse, by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. So uh, a man of God to some degree there, and uh, but he has a problem. That problem was that he was a leper. And that was kind of a, an interesting combination of things. And it's not unprecedented, I suppose, but someone in that kind of position to be afflicted with that kind of a malady. Normally, you have lepers being ostracized from society because of just the, the nasty condition that it is. And uh, I won't go into the nitty-gritty details, but it's, it's a horrible disease to be afflicted with. And yet this man... Somehow, some way, despite the fact that he was a leper and I can put it that way, I suppose that he was able, by the Lord's help, gave deliverance to Syria. Now what exactly that means, I suppose I don't have all the details, but nonetheless, this is the character of Naaman here. The next character I'd like to look at is uh, this woman who then becomes employed to Naaman, verse number two. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord, talking about Naaman, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. We see a bit of compassion there as well, as we see this woman taken completely out of her life situation and is in many ways to the Syrians here. And yet she has this marvelous attitude. Uh, you don't really see her complaining about her situation. She is just faithfully serving the Lord in this situation. On Wednesdays, right now, we're studying the life of Joseph, where that is also true that despite his life situation, he still chose to serve the Lord. And in that, God used him to bring great deliverance. And so here we have this humble little maid just doing what she can in her service here to Naaman, and in this case in particular, talking to Naaman's wife in this situation. So, Naaman's wife and uh, working for him. So, this testimony of this woman and, and what she says here it continues to, to retain her heritage and have that godly testimony upon this Syrian and give give him some kind of a hope to be able to get out of this leprous condition and we see that desire you know normally the the captive you're not going to see that kind of uh compassion expressed towards their captors and yet in this case we have this little maid that is desiring and wanting naaman to be healed of his leprosy and perhaps that says as much about leprosy as it does this woman because of how terrible leprosy is but for this woman, in this situation, to want this for Naaman, I believe says a lot about her character. And we see her faith in there also, that uh, that God could be the one to heal this. And I'm not really aware of modern it. conventions for dealing with this, but it's, it's still a very difficult disease to deal with. And I know of uh, other people with other types of maladies, where there's really no known cure. And you just have to kind of survive the best way that you can. Well, ultimately, and God does this to us sometimes, doesn't he? Where the doctors don't have any answers whatsoever. They're not able to explain anything. And yet somehow, some way, God is able to heal this person of whatever that thing happens to be. And it's really marvelous to be able to see that. And on Wednesday nights, sometimes we get to hear those kinds of testimonies as we go through our prayer time. And as we look through prayer letters and look at other testimonies of how God works, well, she knew that God could work. And the way that God often worked in those times was through these people known as the prophets. And in particular, we're going to see Elisha come up in this account. So seeing the trust of this woman here. Next character we see is a king, rich and thoughtful. Verse number four, And one went in and told his lord, Naaman, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel Hey, let's do something about this. I think he had some compassion upon his his servant as well. I mean, being one that serves him, I think it would be in his best interest to make sure that he's taken care of. So middle of verse five there. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, and 6,000 pieces of gold and 10 changes of raiment. So, I said he was rich. rich. I mean, is there a king that's not rich? Of course, we know our lord owns the king on that The king owns the cattle. Maybe there's a king on a thousand hills. I'm trying to think through that one. But the cattle on a thousand hills. So, what? what is it to God? But we see him bestowing all this great wealth as a means of uh, perhaps appeasement. And Relations maybe were not always the best between Syria and Israel, but yet we see uh, what, what I think is a token of good faith. Now, we're going to see how that's interpreted here in just a moment, but I believe this king of Syria at this moment in time is showing uh, some effort and some goodwill in this. So next we see uh, the other king here. Verse number 6. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying... Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therefore sent with I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. Alright, so the message is now delivered. So if you were the king of Israel, how would you take that? If you got that kind of a letter, maybe you might think like he did in verse number seven. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man doth send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. Oh, he's just up to no good. He's trying to to, trying to butter me up just so he can get something out of me or some take over some city somewhere. Who Who knows what he's trying to do, but he's interpreting this completely the wrong way. So, you know, sometimes the best of intentions are received in that kind of a way. And we see his just alarming reaction to this. Uh, Well, One thing that is good, I think, that he acknowledges, well, he's not God. So even he there himself says, you know, God's the only one that can deal with this. But then throwing his hands up, what am I supposed to do? You know, that's... (laughs) You know, that's our reaction perhaps to a lot of requests that we get. You know, how, uh, Maybe your boss asks you something at work and it's like, how am I supposed to do this? And they say, all right, just go, go do it. And yet here he's in a situation where this, this letter is sent to him saying, heal this man of leprosy. It's like, how am I supposed to do that? What, I mean, what doctor do I have that's gonna be able to do that? You know, what kind of medicine do I have available to me? And so he is uh, just beside himself But we see that there is an answer to this problem. Verse number eight, looking at uh, Elisha, and so, and it was so when Elisha, the man of God had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So we see the wise prophet now taking over this situation. Hey. Hey hey, we want him to know that there is someone who is able to cure this. We're not just going to let this go unanswered. And perhaps to some extent this is diplomatic as well. But there's also some boldness here in Elisha putting himself on the line. Well, not that Elisha had anything to worry about. I'm sure he knew that God could take care of this. But nonetheless, a bold move on his part to... To take the pressure off the king, the king doesn't have to worry about this anymore, so on the one hand while you have you have the contrasting character of the the woman who is trusting that God could take care of this versus the the king of Israel who on the flip side but I, and I use the word paranoid there, uh, maybe that's not the best word for that, but you know maybe jumping to the wrong conclusion I think based on the letter he received and the intent, which I believe was intended in sending that letter. So, moving on now, contrasting some other character traits here as we see this narrative continue in verse number 9. The grand arriving, verse number 9, so Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Alright, Elisha, here we go. It's your time. What's gonna happen? And I don't know if maybe this was something a little bit out of the ordinary for Elisha to have this much pomp and circumstance around his dwelling place there. All of a sudden you have all of this grand entourage coming to your door. How would you feel if all of a sudden the presidential motorcade showed up to your front doorstep? Oh man, I better get ready. It's all right. Everyone get their, get their best suits on everyone dress up. Um, you know, Kill the fatted calf, or whatever the modern equivalent of that would be. You um, know, quick, we need to cater something in. I can't, I can't cook anything that quickly. Well, not quite that kind of a reception here, but nonetheless, uh, maybe that does help illustrate some of the contrast of of how this setting was with this important captain of Syria now coming to this humble prophet Elisha. Next, we see a perceived dismissing in verse number ten. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. You know what this would be the equivalent of? The, the president showing up to your doorstep. Like, okay, maybe not the president, if we're going to be on, uh, in comparison to what this is talking about. Maybe one of his chief of staff or something like that. Maybe that would be a good equivalent arrives at your doorstep, and instead of answering yourself, um, go send your kid to go answer him and tell him this. How, how would he feel received? And, and then the child gives him the message and then closes the door. Okay, that's it. What? <laughs> that's all they're going to do? Think of how Naaman felt in this situation. Now, here I am in all this this, uh, this great and royal... Whatever, all this this fanciness, and this is how they're going to treat me. This is how I'm going to be received here. I think we see a bit of the pride, and I use that word on the slide there. This is the pride of Naaman. I, I'm I'm this great person, you know. Shouldn't they treat me differently? I I deserve to be treated differently than this, you know. God help us to be careful that you know we don't get a big head about ourselves to think that we're more than we think we are. And there's scriptural advice to that extent. And I kind of felt that way yesterday, being able to have the privilege to officiate my niece's purity ceremony. I'm not anyone great. I mean, it's the first time I've ever done anything like that before. And so, I mean, I felt humbled by the situation, but it it would have been easy for me to say, uh, you know, dressed up in my suit, actually wore this exact same suit up there. But, uh, you know, looking all fancy with everyone else up there, you know, looking like I'm someone great and taking all the credit after the service and totally stealing the thunder away from a moment that was belonging to my niece because she had made that decision. And we see Naaman here in a bit of a fit of pride. We're going to see uh, as he, we see his reaction in verse number 11, his proud appraising. But Naaman was wroth, and went away, and said, "Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me, and stand, and call on the name of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place, and heal the leper. This, this is how he's going to do it. What, what? What is this? I was expecting fireworks. I was expecting uh, RGB. And I was expecting oh, that's computer stuff. By the way, that, that, that's how people dress up their computers. Is RGB? That's a big buzzword in computers." But making something look fancy. Bring out all the decorations. You know, bring out your big golden rod and whoosh, have this big ceremony and make it big and grand. And he wants me to go wash in the Jordan River. And we're going to see more to that in verse 12 here. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Poor Naaman. You know, just got just got to console him as he walks out the door there. Poor guy. But, but you, you see his reaction there. I mean, our waters are a lot cleaner than this muddy Jordan. You know, I can get a lot cleaner in these other rivers if that's all he's asking me to do. But then that's where the simplicity part comes in. Just these simple instructions that Elisha gives to Naaman, that's all he needed to do. And if he were to follow those directions... We're going to see it here. Finally, when he wises up, that's going to make him clean. You know, sometimes we are looking for that big grand answer to a problem. And all we get is just a simple instruction. And perhaps we expect so much more. God, I was expecting you to do this in this situation and you didn't work this way. This is what you're asking me to do. Am I really supposed to do this? Sometimes things like that don't make sense to us. And yet if we were just to simply obey, we'll see God work in ways that we can't imagine. And that's often how God works. He takes the, the simple and uh brings the the proud down. You know, the first I think it's first Corinthians one where there's some scripture to that. But uh God works in that way is my point. So His proud appraising. Next we see, uh, I think I meant to, uh, oh, no, never mind. Calm committing. He is committing himself to this. I had another word in there before, and I didn't want there to be confusion, so I'm glad I changed that. All right, verse number 13. We see his calm committing now. He's going to come to his senses. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean. Alright, fine. Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. See, that's all you had to do, Naaman. It. it was just that simple. Just obey. You know, how many times is God saying that to us? It just it just wants you to obey this, this little thing. And... So there, there he was. And, and again, going back to their, their perception of this situation, maybe this servant had something in mind like that as well, but thankfully he had the wisdom enough to be able to point Naaman back in the direction that he should go. And Naaman had some discernment and some uh, humbleness about him once he got to that point finally, to finally obey whatever the simple instruction was, just go wash and be clean. It, it doesn't make sense. Go go down to a dirty river to to wash it and, and be clean of your leprosy. And, and yet, by following that instruction that didn't make sense, God was able to answer by means of a miracle Here, is it, it's not like, you know, people, I, I've heard stories sometimes. I was up at Steamboat Lake about a week ago, and there are, uh, Fairy tales, to borrow a phrase from earlier, talking about the, 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 the springs and the, the power of the spring water. And maybe you've seen marketing from people with bottled water, you know, talking about how fresh and clean their water is. And you go back maybe 50, 60, 70, 80 years, and there's a lot of that that was rampant, where people would talk about, oh, this mineral water will help to cure all these kinds of diseases. And there's this great power in this water. And, you know, who knows what was actually in the water. I mean, it's literally like some bottled water companies do it today, where they literally just scoop the water out and try to sell it to you in a bottle and charge you, you know, $2 for it. Uh, I I could go on about that, but, um, (laughs) you know, the, the water itself was not sufficient to cleanse him of his leprosy. It was the power of God, and that was what was being acknowledged by that young maid. God alone can do this, and it's it's not because of the water. It's because God was testing His obedience to work through that situation there. So we see that He calmly committed to this situation. So we see those two character crate I was going to say uh, got brother crate on my mind, I guess. Traits. We're going to, to look at two more traits here as we close our study today: truth versus greed. Uh, Maybe not related directly, but in this account, uh, they are related. First we see, now as Naaman comes back and is thankful, we see a refusing of human blessing, verse number 15. And he, Naaman, returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. and And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel." So uh, if he didn't truly know the Lord before that point, at this point, he did. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servants. This kind of reminds me of when Jacob met Esau. Remember how afraid Jacob was to meet Esau? And he's sending forward all these gifts to try to appease his brother. And you get down to it, and Esau wanted nothing but to actually just hug his brother Jacob. And Jacob was afraid, and so through that exchange, there was a saying, "Hey, you know, you you need to take this present off of me." And they, they urged him. They urged him. And so, all right, finally. But in this case, we're going to see that it is refused. Verse number fifteen, uh, verse sixteen. This is Elisha's answer. But he said, "As the Lord liveth, before whom I stand, I will receive none." And he urged him to take it. Come on, please. You've done this for me. I am healed of this leprosy, this horrible disease. Are you not going to take anything from me? But he refused. That there reminds me of when Abraham uh, went to go rescue his, his nephew Lot. And they were the kings that wanted to bestow honors upon him. And Abraham refused in that situation. You know, I won't even take a shoe latchet. You know, lest they say that they helped me. Now, Abraham knew it was God that had helped him and didn't want to take that thunder away from God. And so I believe a similar situation is showing up here with Elisha in refusing this gift here. Going on in verse 17. Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods but unto the Lord." In this thing, the Lord pardon thy servant. That when my master goeth into the house of Rimmon, when I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. And he said unto him, Go in peace. And he departed from him a little way. So we see a little bit more of how he was affected by this. All right, so I, I want to be able to have this. Uh, this place where I can just worship the true God, you know. But he had this special situation. Now understand that in the context of this, this is a special situation. This is not endorsing people going into other houses of worship uh, under other pretenses. Uh, and it reminds me of things I've heard sometimes about Christian schools and some projects that will sometimes put on their students and all in an effort to try to understand other religions. But I, I think sometimes it's misguided in some of what they actually ask these students to do, to go into these other places of worship, sometimes unattended, uh, you know, without any discernment, perhaps, of uh, you know, what's going to happen there. I, and I think there's danger in that. So again, just looking at the context here, this is, this is a special particular situation that is not endorsing uh, bleeding the colors, so to speak. We need to make sure that we're faithful to God. We have, we have a home church here. and we can, we can safely go to this church here and not have to worry about going off into other places to learn about what other people do. And I remember a pastor friend of mine there was a guest speaker while I was going to his church that we had where he actually expressed concerns about this particular speaker. Because he would speak about, uh, if you've heard of the the branch of, uh, they call it apologetics, talking about uh, other people's faiths and trying to, uh, more specific direction in terms of trying to witness to people and having some of the background of particular religions in your mind he was worried that this person was going a little bit too far in that direction that he was kind of losing his bearings. So that's a warning to us that we, we need to make sure that above all, we know the truth. And from that, we can discern other things that will help us to understand based on our conversations with people. And I think really that's ultimately how we're going to learn it. We can read the tenets of other religions all day long, but until we actually talk to somebody and find out what that particular person believes. Because guess what? Not everyone of a particular re- religion believes exactly the same thing. So we, we can't pigeonhole people into that. So that's where talking to people and actually getting to know them becomes important. And so all of that to talk about now, the special situation where he's saying, hey, my, my master goes to the house of this false God and I am his, I'm his servant. I, I'm already in this situation. So he, he's asking for some understanding in this, that, that he's in this position. And, and I kind of think about uh, Nehemiah being the cupbearer to uh, uh, a pagan king. You know, th- there's that situation as well. Perhaps it's somewhat similar, uh, maybe not exactly the same. But hopefully you see what I'm trying to illustrate through that. Requesting God's pardoning in those verses there. Next we see revealing personal coveting, verse number 20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master hath stared, naming him a Syrian, in Assyrian, and not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, you can see him kind of musing over this now, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. He was going to give Elisha all this stuff and he didn't take it? Well, maybe he'll give it to me instead. Uh, does that remind you of uh, perhaps after the Battle of Jericho? You had, uh, why can't I, what, what was his name? Achan? Achan. So you had Achan, who they were told not to take the spoils of Ai when they went to go, or uh, Jericho. They were not to take of the spoils, but guess what? There was one man that did. And when they fought their battle at Ai, they lost because they had, that one man had disobeyed that command because he had covered it after you know, those garments and that wedge of gold, and it just looked so appealing to him. So we see Gehazi falling into that trap here. Verse 21. So Gehazi followed after Naaman. And when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? (laughs) Is everything okay? Is Elisha okay? (laughs) And he said, All is well. My master hath sent me. So what's wrong with that statement? I, I don't see anywhere in here where Elisha actually said that. My master hath sent me, he said. That's why part of the title of that slide was truth. My master hath sent me, saying, Behold, even now there become to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. Hmm. It's curious. I know, wouldn't they think about wanting to have something maybe to cook as a meal for them. I mean, we, we have the account in the New Testament where Jesus is talking about uh, pray without ceasing, that whole thing and you have that, that person who comes to you at midnight asking for bread because I have someone that's come to me and I need to be able to take care of them and show hospitality to them and so that was the gesture that was asked of that person at midnight to, for bread to take care of them What are these people going to do with a talent of silver? I I guess I could see what they could do with the the garments. Maybe what they have has gone ragged, but give them some money for the way. Uh, uh, I'm thinking of some things that I won't go into, but it, it just seems suspect what he's asking for here. When he's asking for a talent of silver and changes of garments here. And we see how he's kind of embellishing the story, too. It's all of a sudden become this uh, situation where now Elisha is in a little bit of a pickle and needs some help. And Naaman needs to to bail him out in this. And Gehazi is speaking in the name of Elisha. So it's not not only is he lying, but he's lying on behalf of Elisha. Uh, I mean, if word got back to Naaman about this... That, about the, the truth of this, what was really going on, how would Naaman have felt? You know, I they healed me of this leprosy, and then they tried to extort me like this. He said he didn't want anything. Why does he want stuff now? So I don't know. Naaman perhaps would have, would have felt differently. But, uh, but Naaman goes along with it. Verse 23. Naaman said, be content. Take two talents. Oh, you just wanted one. I'll give you two. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags. And you can, for, for each talent of gold, maybe you can see the dollar sign lighting up in Gehazi's eyes there. Um, but, uh, wow, I'm going to get two talents of silver out of this? Laid them upon two of his servants and they bear them before him. So now they're going to take this entourage back to Elisha. Don't you think Elisha is going to know about this once he comes back? It, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that Gehazi really thought this through, and I think sometimes greed has that effect on us. We're, we're concerned about the moments. We're concerned about uh, taking advantage of a situation, which I think is what Gehazi is doing here. And I, I, if I'm honest, I think there are times where I feel like I've taken advantage of a situation in such a way that I could get some kind of personal gain out of it. And that's a danger for any of us that we fall into that kind of a thing. So something to be aware of. Greed is a very powerful thing sometimes. And if we don't restrain some of those desires, sometimes it will lead us to a path that we don't want to go on. So coming to our last point here now, as we look at this chapter, verse number 24 Elisha is going to find out and render spiritual accounting. Verse 24. When he came to the tower, he took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house. And he, and he let the men go and they departed. Maybe he was thinking Elisha wouldn't see. If we can just get in, get out quick, you know, no one will have to see anything. I'm trying to keep this a secret. But he went in, verse 25, and stood before his master. And Elisha said to him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And thy and he said, Thy servant went no whither. I didn't go anywhere. What are you What are you talking about, Elisha? I didn't do anything that you know of yet, right? Verse twenty six. And he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants? Is it time for that? Is that what we were trying to accomplish through this? In healing Naaman, were we trying to get some kind of gain out of it? When we do things for people, are we trying to get something out of it? And this is something that we can use to test our motives. Is it time for that, when we're doing those things. Verse number 27. So he's rendering the sentence now. The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee, and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence, a leper as white as snow. Again, I don't think, Gehazi, I really thought this through. And I don't think... uh, in that he knew what the consequences were going to be of that decision. And sometimes in their people and their greedy endeavors will drag themselves into situations that they find that they can't get out of, uh, even very hurtful situations, you know, maybe family members taking advantage of an inheritance or something else of the sort where they have some kind of power in the situation and they manipulate circumstances for things to be a certain way and then cause strife within the family. That's one possible example, but you're, or uh, maybe somehow someone has won the lottery and now because, because they wanted to just uh, buy that one lottery ticket and and somehow they won big out of all that. Uh, Have you heard some of the stories sometimes of people who win the lottery and all of a sudden, their life goes like this pretty fast. It is that all of a sudden, they get all these strange people on their doorsteps and, and you know, other kinds of strange occurrences that sometimes happen with those things. And one thing I notice about some of those things is these companies that promote these things, they want you to make it public, that you are the person that won this. It can't ever be in secret because they want the publicity for that. And yet... You know, by putting your name out there, you're announcing to the world, I am so-and-so, that now has this much money, and it seems like that's an ad advertisement to people to to take of some of that. Greed versus truth. We've seen a few different characteristics of people as we've looked through this account. Maybe there's one thing that latches onto you today as you think about these different people that we've looked at. And most importantly, looking at Gehazi there, that is basically half the chapter right there, looking at how he reacts to this situation. You know, it's enough to talk about how glorious it was that Naaman was healed. Yet, we need to be careful when we have those successful moments that we don't let it get to our head and let God get all the glory.